Hello folks, thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Federalist Files on today's show. More information about the NSA spying on Tucker Carlson. A weaponization of the government against Trump continues. New reports show Kamala is a garbage person to work for and has very little support from the Democrat Party. Uh, new emails bring new allegations upon Hunter and Joe Biden. Taliban is tightening its control in Afghanistan. And finally, some more disappointing job numbers in the, for the month of June. just a couple of months ago. Some might say that the other party was for defunding the police. I'll let others say that, but that's a good I am for defunding the police. Yes, I support the defund movement. Why use the word defund? Why use the word defund? And it's like, this is the word that's coming from the street. Many affluent suburb, suburbs have essentially already begun pursuing a defunding of the police in that they fund schools. Not only do we need to disinvest for in police, but we need to completely dismantle the Minneapolis Police Department. The Minneapolis Police Department is rotten to the root. Defund the police does not mean abolish the police. It means a dramatic reduction. Hello, folks. Thank you for tuning in for another episode, another weekend special in the books. Uh, that was all of the Democrat politicians that were calling for a defund of the police movement. Uh, about a year ago, actually. And yes, this disproves the theory from Jen Psaki saying that for years the Republicans have been trying to defund the police and and just, I, I don't know how many false, you know, uh, false deals she needs to push in the Biden administration. I guess, I mean, at the very end of this year, she's going to step down from the position, from what I understand. Uh, so it is a complete disaster. I have some reports about Kamala Harris and how her employees feel about her. I have this NSA statement about Tucker Carlson to go deeper into this story. But first, I actually want to show you what Jen Psaki's response is to the weaponization of the NSA to go after the political adversaries of Joe Biden. Uh, while being asked, she's in a, a plane, I believe she's on Air Force One, she's traveling with the president, or she's traveling with the vice president, and she's asked by a reporter while on a plane, I have the audio here for you now, and I will play that, uh, play clip six. Tucker Carlson said that the NSA is spying on him. Is the administration aware of any or listening efforts on U.S. citizens by the NSA. It is Tucker Carlson one of them. Uh, well, the NSA, as I think you're well aware, I'm sure everyone's aware, uh, everyone on this plane is aware, I should say, uh, is an entity that focuses on foreign threats and individuals uh, who are try attempting to do us harm on foreign soil. So uh, that is the their uh, purview. Um, but uh, beyond that, I would point you to the intelligence community. It's like she's reading a Wikipedia entry. Ask them. But here's what to notice, no denial. Of course, she's right that the NSA is chartered to spy on foreigners, not on Americans, that's illegal. And yet the NSA does routinely spy on Americans. It won't call it spying, that's exactly what it is, millions of Americans, and sometimes it does it for political reasons. And everyone knows this. 
So that's a segment that we had off of Tucker Carlson's show. Jen Psaki doesn't give a clear answer, just like she has, has yet to give a clear answer on the border. She keeps saying to go to Homeland Security if you want the numbers of the children that have crossed over the border. I'm going to have some information on that next show. I have a lot of... I had a lot of information coming into this show that I'm going to actually have to carry over to the next show, especially related to the illegal alien situation. And I think something like the tallies 10,000 children already uh, during the Biden administration have been passed, have gone over to the border unaccompanied minors. I think the number now they're tallying it at around 10,000. It's unbelievable what's going on over there. So here's the actual NSA statement uh, as it as it's. As it's stated by them, they come out right after Tucker Carlson makes these allegations. I think it's a whole day later than they actually address it. So this is straight from the NSA. This is off of their Twitter page. It states, and I quote, On June 28, 2021, Tucker Carlson alleged that the National Security Agency has been, and I quote, monitoring our electronic communication and is planning to leak them in an attempt to take us take this show off the air. So that's what Tucker said. This allegation is untrue. Tucker Carlson has never been an intelligence target of the agency, and the NSA has never had any plans to try to take his program off the air. NSA has a foreign intelligence mission. We target foreign powers to generate insights on foreign activities that could harm the United States with limited exceptions, uh, for example, an emergency. The NSA may not target a U.S. citizen without a court order that explicitly authorizes the targeting. End quote. So just notice the dance around that the NSA gives in this answer. The NSA doesn't say we haven't spied on Tucker Carlson at all. Uh, they took one allegation from Tucker Carlson, which was that they were looking to, uh, and, and this is the statement from Tucker, monitoring our electronic communications and is planning to leak them in an attempt to take this show off the air. The only thing that they that they actually reject and deny doing is their attempt to take a show off of the air. They actually didn't even say anything about leaking, that they would or wouldn't leak. But they didn't say anything about spying. They did not categorically deny spying on Tucker Carlson. They say, well, you know, we will spy on people we see foreign threats or foreign activities we will spy on them and if you happen to be talking to that one person it is almost this is this is actually how the patriot act this is how this is written into this is how the NSA handles things their their method of operation is well if you talk to the foreign president of another country then it's it's almost like you are guilty by association and now we also can spy on you so that's essentially what they were doing apparently tucker carlson had to uh he was talking to the president of el salvador for an upcoming show that he has on his he has this daytime special show where he does these specialized uh topics specific topics he kind of does a deep dive into them apparently he was speaking to the president of el salvador and some think this is what it was that they were spying how they were spying on tucker carlson because the informant that Tucker Carlson, the the whistleblower that went to him, had information about his emails back and forth and what what he was planning to present on the upcoming show. So just notice there is not a categorical denial of the NSA 
of, uh, of monitoring his electronic communications. The only thing they said is that they're not trying to take him off of the air. And then they had to assure that they don't actually, they don't target, quote unquote, target U.S. citizens. You notice how it's, we don't, it's not, we don't spy on U.S. citizens without a court order. Their answer is we don't actually specifically target U.S. citizens without a court order. So essentially... Them coming out with this statement is actually more uh, is mu much more worth condemnation than them staying completely silent because now it shows they admit admit yeah we spied on Tucker Carlson but it wasn't uh, we weren't targeting him and trying to take a show off the air so we were pretty much targeting I mean we were uh, spying on him through association with another foreign entity and actually I have some even worse. I have even worse of a clip from Sebastian Gorka. Sebastian Gorka is uh, Trump. He was Trump's old national security advisor, one of his national security advisors during his administration. He has his kind of his cool little radio show action. Uh, Doctor Sebastian Gorka goes on Stitchfield show, which is on Newsmax, and he actually briefly talks about how he was spied on by the intelligence uh, community as well, and how it is that the NSA dances around these ideas of, oh, you can't spy on, uh, you can't spy on American citizens. And this is, in, this is an insane story. This is groundbreaking uh, information here. Play clip seven. Well, it utterly is, and uh, the methods they used are absolutely unconstitutional. There's a, a dodge they worked out called traffic shaping, where they, whereby they know that they're not allowed to spy on U.S. Uh, persons in the United States, but they know that Internet communications are absolutely global. So the NSA uses its capacity to shape Internet traffic to move the nodes of connection. So instead of my email going from Washington, D.C. to New York, they route it through Malaysia and they say, oh, look, that's a foreign communication, therefore we can intercept it. So with traffic shaping, they break the constitutional restrictions on the NSA and they spy on people for political purposes. Uh, as to proof, um, a very, very highly respected journalist has, uh, has the evidence and she promised me that she will... Uh, publicly uh, disclose her sources so when she does that uh, we'll have something to refer to so this story is insane he and he's getting this information from a very very renowned prominent reliable journalist that's going to hopefully break this story very soon and we can get much more in depth into it in our next show hopefully if it releases by that time the most important thing is the NSA is doing this system of traffic shaping where they will rewire your internet connection. It's kind of uh, very similar to how a VPN would work. When you use a VPN, it pretty much blocks your IP address. It wires your IP address as a, diff a completely different server in another country, wherever you select. So the NSA, what they will do is they will tap into the system. They will move what your IP address is considered... Uh, if, if let's say you're living in New Jersey, they'll take your IP address and they'll rewire everything. So it makes it look like you're going out of Malaysia. You're going out of, let's say, uh, let's just say China, right? For instance. And because now you're in a foreign nation, now the NSA is open to spy on you.
So this is what the NSA will do. I mean, we have we have a, a weaponized, not only federal government FBI agency, but also the intelligence community has now been weaponized against conservatives. It's been weaponized against political adversaries of the regime. And when I say regime, I mean, I truly, in, a, in the truest, uh, most authentic sense, I do mean a regime because that's what this is now. This is the weaponization of our uh, federal law enforcement and the intelligence community, just like we saw during the Obama administration when he was going, he was using the IRS to go after his political adversaries. Now what we're seeing in this administration is we're seeing uh, the weaponization of these of these powers, these federal government powers, to go after the political adversaries once again. But now we're going through through the NSA instead, and this is a huge story. It's a huge occurrence uh, that this is that this is going on now. The Trump organization. Uh, they pled. They pled not guilty. The CFO also, his name is uh, Alan Weisselberg, pled not non guilty as well to tax fraud. So this is a Reuters article, and this is amazing that the way that it's it's so funny. The Democrats they get into power, and and every just just if you actually go historically, you you even go back to let's go as back as far as uh, FDR, just the authoritarianism of F. So FDR confiscated gold from the citizens of the United States during his reign of power. He, he confiscated gold. He made it illegal to hold gold as a legal tender because he wanted to manipulate the currency and just print as much money as he can because he thought printing money somehow would get the country out of uh, a depression, which actually extended the depression even longer. And that's why we saw the baby boomer period after everything was said and done, because finally the value of the economy ended up meeting the inflation that was printed. It, that was all FDR is doing. The, the extension of the Great Depression, and it probably wouldn't even been considered the Great Depression if it weren't for FDR being the president, and actually extending that period of time of the Great Depression. He was confiscating wealth from people, confiscating it and just taking it through the government. He wasn't even, there wasn't even a redistribution. He was just confiscating the wealth because they had no money. They had to keep printing. The government legitimately had nothing. So they had to take from the people gold, uh, had to confiscate that to fund other things like the war and a lot of his social welfare programs. And we had, we had that. And then we have even, um, now we have Obama, IRS doing the same thing. There's a lot of stories with, with, uh, the president right after, I'm trying to think of, J, right after JFK got assassinated. It's It really is. It's like it's like historical Lyndon B. Johnson. Lyndon B. Johnson was also known for doing the same thing, spying on spying on people who are using the federal government to go after his political opponents. Jimmy Carter, there's stories as well. I mean, I mean, yeah, then there's the there's the Nixon Watergate story. But you see this much more in the Democrat Party more than any other party, especially in modern day politics. Yeah, we could sit here, we could talk about hundreds of years ago. I don't think it relates as much as as most recently when people were kind of alive, and that's why I, I looked uh first and foremost to FDR because that was kind of the last generation really that's still alive for the most part and I kind of go from there on out and it's like every single it's like every single Democrat uh, that that has been that has been present I think Bill Clinton was another one did the same thing <laughs> it's like every single Democrat was was spying on Americans using the federal law enforcement apparatus to attack political adversaries and go after them. And they all just do the same thing, and they always get away with it. It it really is just asinine the rules, uh, the hypocrisy, and there's there's obviously a uh, 
There's different rules that apply, whether you're a conservative or you're a progressive leftist communist. And that's what communists like. Communists like complete and total power and control because they are tyrants. Uh, That's what they like to do. They take advantage of that power. So the Trump organization and his CFO pled, uh, once again, pled not guilty to tax fraud. So let's hear these actual charges. This is from Reuters.com. This was amazing. I read the entire article. I really was like, this is what they have. This Weisselberg guy, okay, he's 73 years old. Mind you, he has worked for Trump for 48 years, okay? So he was charged with concealing $1.76 million in income, uh, including rent for a Manhattan apartment, lease payments for two Mercedes-Benz vehicles, and tuition for family members, with Trump signing the checks for the tuition himself. Prosecutor, prosecutor said this enabled Weisselberg who has worked for Trump for 48 years to evade roughly $900,000 in taxes and collect $133,000 in refunds he did not deserve. Okay, so let me just make this, let me just try to uh, illustrate this the best way that I can. They investigated Trump for three years on top of the entire Mueller probe. In New York, they have been investigating Trump for three years. They said, we are going to find a we are looking at the man, we are going to investigate him, and we are going to find the crime. The best thing that they can come up with, once again, is not a Donald Trump crime. They get this dude that has been working for Donald Trump for 48 years, saying that he did not claim over a 48-year period. Remember, this dude is the CFO. 48 years, the amount of money that was being moved through all of Trump's businesses, I mean, it's billions of dollars during this time, right? One point, and and just to try to put this in context, 1.76 million of just one, if you put that in context of just 1 billion, 1 billion is 500 times more than 1.76 million. I mean, it is one five hundredth of the actual, of, of 1 billion, and, and Trump's worth around like $3 billion. So it is minuscule in the grand scheme of things, this amount of money. And you also have to remember, this went over a 48-year period. So what they're getting him for is, when he was included, when, when a company pays for the rent of somebody, pays for lease payments on, on cars, tuition for family members, all of that stuff, that has to be reported as income from Weisselberg. Weisselberg's been working for them for 48 years, so maybe he missed a little income here and there, uh, writing certain things down on his taxes. Uh, apparently as well, for the Trump, the organization itself was giving out free parking passes or something of that nature, and that's why they're going after them as well. I mean, you guys are going after people for parking passes. That's what we're doing. The New York District Attorney, uh, Letitia James as well, because it's New York City and then it's the New York, the state. You're going after the Trump Organization for parking, for, for giving out free parking passes and not reporting that on their taxes. That's what we're doing now. We're, go- we're going after, and now we're going after the Trump administration. We're going after this dude that's 73 years old. And apparently the charges are like, you know, if he's guilty, it's something like 15 years. Pretty much it's it's a life sentence at this point. It's 15 years in, in, uh, in prison. We're going after this dude for $900,000 of taxes over a, a 50-year period. And the taxes aren't income taxes. These are taxes from things that were paid through the company. It was like when you swipe it on your company card and the company pays for it and all these other things, uh, which you should have claimed as income. This is what we're going. We're going after people 
for petty crimes. I mean, I wouldn't even consider dodging taxes. Honestly, I wouldn't even consider it like a crime. I would consider it much more like a misdemeanor. I know the government would, would disagree with me, but the government's precedent over time, they've been consistently wrong. They thought slavery was okay for, for a certain period of time as well. So I think that the fact that they're going after Trump's uh, CFO over $900,000 in taxes, that's what we're, that's what we're going to do now. And over three years, this is the only thing they were able to... I mean, Trump may be the cleanest guy to ever be the president of the United States, especially in the modern modern era, I would say 100% for sure. Uh, probably not all time, just because you got the founders. But if, if you had to tell me within the last 100 years who was the cleanest president of all time, I mean, it might actually be Trump. I mean, the dude's impenetrable. He's solid steel. I mean, they can't do it. They can't get anything on him. They've been investigating this dude for the last, like, six years... And the best they can come up with is, is oh, we got a couple people that are around him. We can't get him. We, we've we yet to get him. We can get a couple people around him on petty crap because we, we're tyrants and we're authoritarians and we have to do something. But really, they, they don't have anything. They've yet to get anything. just want to point that out. So reports. Uh, Kamala Harris treats her employees like crap. A Daily Caller piece. I have two different articles about this. This is hilarious. Uh, Vice President Kamala Harris's office is reportedly an abusive environment where staffers are thrown under the bus when things go wrong, according to 22 current and former staffers who spoke to Politico on condition of anonymity Wednesday. Much of the ire from current and former staff is aimed at Harris's chief of staff, Tina Flournoy. Flournoy uh, allegedly routinely blames lower-level staffers when initiatives fall through and often ignores input from staff, the sources told Politico. This, this is hilarious. Uh, so her staff hates working for her. She's obviously a deeply uh, unlikable person. She must not have any charisma. She must be difficult to work for and work with. Uh, especially, you don't want to work for the vice president, just in, in a political sense. If, if you want to work for anybody, you want to be part of anybody's cabinet, want so you want it to be the president because you don't want to be the runner-up person. Because then no, there's no clout to that. You can't walk around D.C. like the swamp rat that you are and brag about the political position you have in government if you're working for the vice president. And they don't see this, this vice president, they don't see Kamala Harris... As the future president, obviously, she's she's deeply unlikable. She doesn't really have a great, successful career. She kind of slept her way up to the top, and that's just me speaking frankly. Uh, she, she imprisoned more people, more and more people, and uh, kept them on longer sentences so they could pretty much do the slave work for her in California, and it made her look better as an attorney, uh, as a prosecutor. I mean, it's amazing. So what we have is next is a, a quote. From one of the people that are in direct knowledge of how Harris's office is run, telling Politico this, <clears throat> and I quote, People are thrown under the bus from the very top. There are short fuses, and it's an abusive environment. It's not a healthy environment, and people often feel mistreated. It's not a place where people feel supported, but a place where people feel treated like shit. <laughs> Excuse my French. So I have another one as well, an Axios story actually about employees working under Kamala, and this is this is where I said there's a there's a, a very extreme distrust, not only distrust but a a feeling of incompetency for Kamala Harris. They feel these people that work under her actually think that she's incompetent as well. They don't see her as the new commander in chief, even if it's not Joe Biden in the future. People are thinking, uh, you know, it's time to get rid of Kamala Harris and get somebody else in there. 
And this is from Axios. This is a specific Axios story. I have Breitbart covering it, right? It's written by Wendell Hughesbow. Vice President Kamala Harris's aides are in a panic on Friday, stating she is effing up and perhaps shouldn't be the heir apparent for 2024's presidential race because she could not defeat whomever the Republican Party puts up, end quote. So Axios reported this, uh, and I'm quoting here, one Democrat operative said about the 2024 concern that most Democrats aren't saying, oh no, our heir apparent is effing up. What are we going to do? It's more that people think, and, and I quote, Oh, she's effing up. Maybe we sh- she shouldn't be the heir apparent. End quote. So when they say heir apparent, they just mean the next person kind of uh, in line to be to to run for the presidency. They're afraid that whoever the the Republican Party puts up is is going to uh, defeat Kamala Harris. Which I mean, if it's a Ron DeSantis, I think that he would mop the floor with her, unless if the Democrats try to throw the election, like they may have done last time. Uh, other White House aides told Axios Harris's office is a shit show with poorly managed people who don't have long-term relationships with her. An overall operation sometimes visibly out of sync with Biden's. 2024 is the elephant in the room, Axios reports. While Biden aides overwhelmingly believe he'll be the Democrat Democratic nominee, they also know he'd be 81 years old when seeking re-election. But, and I quote, many Democrats, including some current senior administration officials, are concerned she, as in Kamala Harris, could not defeat whomever the Republican Party puts up, even if it were Donald Trump. End quote. So yeah, uh, Joe Biden's not going to be able to make it to next election. I'd be very surprised if he did. He's not even making it right now as the president. They have to hide him. If they, they can't do that, this is exhausting for not only the American people, but as well as his administration, the people around him. This has to be exhausting for his family as well. Just keeping him in the closet this entire time, pumping him full of whatever drugs they do to keep him cognizant to an extent to be able to uh, carry out the faculties of looking good in front of the uh, the corporate media. And really what they're, they're afraid that Kamala Harris will not be able to beat the next Republican nominee which is uh i mean that that seems to serve very true i I've, I've yet to see any redeeming qualities from kamala she has that creepy cackling laugh she's deeply unrelatable she she reminds me of hillary uh and thus far if you just look at results of the administration there's nothing here that's impressive even her going down the border wasn't impressive she didn't even go to the location that she was supposed to go to uh, she's just a deeply honest so far thus far this looks great for the Republican Party, how this how this presidency has played out so far, especially with this inflation, with the printing of more money, talking about infrastructure, talking about just spending everybody into an abyss, and really just confiscating the wealth of, of Americans and, and devaluing their dollar. And we've seen a raise in pretty much everything, all prices across the board. Uh, we're looking at a new program where Biden wants to legalize a bunch of illegal aliens, wants to pay for more and more social programs, through taxing the middle class, and it's not taxing the middle class, just printing more money, which devalues the middle class's dollar, as it does everybody else, but who it has the biggest impact on is the middle and the lower class. Uh, there's, there's across, I, I don't know of one thing that I could sit here and tell you that I deeply approve of from the Biden administration. I think some of this foreign relations stuff with China in terms of not listing a lot of these telecommunications companies 
on the New York Stock Exchange, I think is a good thing. Uh, they're kind of somewhat walking in the Trump administration's foot, footsteps in terms of, of some of these tariffs with China. They still have the tariffs going. Now, in terms of their actual rhetoric and standing strong against China, they've been doing a terrible job of it thus far. Uh, but we're going to have to see how this all plays out here. I just don't, I don't see any redeeming qualities of the administration. I don't see any of the liberals online bragging about how good of a job uh, the Biden administration is doing comparatively to how Trump did his four years. But that's also because these liberals are stupid and they don't really pay attention to the actual news. And, and they're more obsessive over race and they're more obsessive over gender and, uh, you know, it's Pride Month. And, and, and these really, these semantic stupid games that the liberals and the progressives, communists play in order to in order to really just manipulate the news story, the news cycle. So no one knows about any of this stuff. No one knew about any of the Hunter Biden allegations before. And now we actually have new emails that are that are raising new allegations about Hunter and Joe Biden's dealings. Once again, I don't really like to go into Hunter Biden unless if Joe Biden is related to it and it's a Joe Biden abusing his power in favor of his son, putting his son in front of the American people or other countries. So Jonathan Turley, I got this straight off his website. He's a, a very uh, you know well-known, reliable reporter. So he stated, even recent reports, and everything, once again, that I refer to will be in the show notes. In this specific piece, there's a lot of hyperlinks involved, and this is why I keep it in the show notes. You can click on it, and you can see as you roll through, as you scroll through, you'll be able to see all of the references that I'm, that I'm talking about in this piece. So even recent reports that Hunter may have paid prostitutes with his father's account were blacked out by the mainstream media, which ex exhaustively pursued any story related to the Trump children and their dealings and lifestyles. Now, however, there is a major allegation that Hunter used access to his father to seal previously unknown deals with Mexican businessman, in, including Carlos Slim. Now, a picture uh, shows Hunter with the businessman in the vice president residence with his father. I think this is a 2015 picture, as you can see below. Um, now, as in the past, Americans interested in such stories have had to rely on the foreign press or a couple domestic sites for such information. So, yeah, he's he Jonathan Turley is really uh, using this story to allude to the bigger problem is that the corporate media is not interested in actually reporting the news or reporting the truth. So it goes on. The new emails include references to the use of Air Force Two by Hunter Biden to pursue the deals. A similar pattern revealed with regard to the China dealings. The emails detail a number of visits to Mexico, including a February 2016 flight on Air Force Two with his father. On the plane was his business partner, Jeff Cooper, who ran Illinois-based Simons Cooper. That is one of the largest asbestos litigation firms in this count in the country, and Hunter was given three percent of Cooper's venture capital firm, Eudora Global, according to emails. President Biden's brother, who featured a uh, in past controversial deals, also known as I think it's uh, Frank Biden, was also reportedly involved in some of these efforts. These dealings continued into 2018 as Hunter pushed for deals with Slim. One text messages from one text message from July 24th, 2018 reads, and I quote, "Spoke to my dad about 
Slim asks, and Cooper responds, and I quote, Oh, that sounds so effing good. So yeah, we had Joe Biden, Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, on Air Force Two, on, on a government uh, plane or, or airliner, pursuing these business deals with not only China, but also pursuing these same business deals with this businessman from Mexico. Uh, and what was his name again? Mr. Slim, Carlos Slim. And his buddy Jeff Cooper, who's part of this uh, Cooper's Venture Capital and all these other big corporations as well. And these these emails detail. And, the, and remember, this is all during, this is while Joe Biden is the Vice President of the United States. It wouldn't have been a problem if he wasn't. But but that's that's when Joe Biden was taking advantage of his power and passing it along to his family members and hooking them up with special secret deals to to influence the way in which he would conduct his job in the future. It was it was a form really of of lobbying, but lobbying for international powers, international players to get to his son, get wealth to his son in his pockets as well as his brother Frank Biden. It really is unbelievable. These stories just continue to pop up. You get more and more out of them. And 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 most of these stories are kind of from the New York Post. He he links them once again in the piece. But they continue to come out, and there's just no reporting done on it. It really is just pathetic The how our media right now is, is completely complicit with the regime. Uh, a judge approves unsealing linking Ghislaine Maxwell to the Clintons. This is a post-millennial piece written by Nick Monroe. And it's uh, the Daily Mail, who recently actually reported on this. They announced a breakthrough in the unsealing documents... Related to the case, presiding judge Loretta Prezeka ruled that the dozens more documents about Maxwell's various dealings uh, will be made public within the next two weeks. So hopefully we hear more about the story. But here's a list of what's actually expected from from the lawyers, uh, from what the lawyers demanded, which are the uh, prosecutors, I would assume they demanded, from January 2012 to the present, produce all documents concerning any source of funding for the Terra Mar project, which is uh, Ghislaine Maxwell's nonprofit, or any other not-for-profit entities with which you are associated, including but not limited to funding received from the Clinton Global Initiative, the Clinton Foundation, uh, and the Clinton Foundation Climate Change Initiative. Which it's it's all owned by the Clintons, of course. So yeah, we're gonna see hopefully in these next two weeks, and I'm sure that the Clintons were smart enough because they're the greatest they're the greatest political crime family in the history of America. They're probably smart enough to cover their tracks. I would I would, I would think for the most part they wipe servers. I mean they, they know what they're doing. They know they're a little sly politically, and they know that they're corrupt and they know how to cover their tracks. But we'll see in these next two weeks what actually ends up happening with that. So my next story that I have. Uh, the Taliban uh, doubles number of controlled Afghan districts since May 1st. Longwarjournal.org is the uh, the site that I have. Bill Rogio is the reporter. He does a great job. He has a lot of videos on his Twitter feed. Bill Rogio, uh, R-O-G-G-I-O, as well as on this on this actual piece. If you click on the link provided, you can scroll all the way down. He's going to have a lot of these video clips. A lot of these video clips are showing Afghan security forces 
just turning over their weapons, shaking hands with uh, the Taliban and giving up the districts, giving up the, these lands to Taliban control. Uh, pretty peacefully, might I add. So in many cases, Afghan security forces have turned over district centers, abandoned military bases, surrendered to the Taliban, and handed over their weapons, vehicles, and other war material without a fight. The Taliban's multi-year strategy of gaining influence in rural districts to then pressure the population centers and is paying dividends. Uh, prior to the Taliban offensive, which began in earnest on May 1st, the date that the U.S. government originally committed to completing its withdrawal under the Doha Agreement, the Taliban controlled 73 of Afghanistan's 407 districts and contested 210 of them. According to an ongoing assessment by Long War Journal, the Biden administration moved the withdrawal date to September 11, 2021, the 20-year anniversary of Al-Qaeda's attack on American soil, 9-11, which, which was plotted and executed largely from Afghanistan. So we had, let's just kind of recap here. The Taliban controlled 73 of the Afghanistanians' 407 districts. They were contesting 210 at the time. Now, this was May 1st at this time. Now, the Taliban's control from May 1st to modern day today, about a total of two months later, okay? The Taliban began to, began to seize territory once the May 1 deadline expired, and as of June 29th, 2021... Now it controls 157 districts, so it went from 73 to 157. It, it doubled what it owned, what it had in Afghanistan. Much of the Taliban gains are in the north. That has put multiple provincial capitals under threat. Taliban fighters have entered the cities of Kunduz and Pul Kumirir and are on the outskirts of Mazari Sharif and Talakwan. Other provincial capitals, such as Mamana and Fazabad, are under direct Taliban threat. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the Taliban, it looks like they're gaining more influence in the region. They're destroying these Afghani defense forces. It's not even, it's not even a comparison. It's not even really like a battle or a fight. And it's, it's kind of weird. They, they have this... They have a very, very amiable relationship between these Afghan security forces from what I've seen on video. They just give up. They very quickly give up. They concede. They go shake hands with the Taliban. Everything's done. Listen, you guys got the district, and it's over. Uh, Americans are out of here. You guys are going to start taking over. You're going to have more and more influence in the region. I mean, it's a war that we really should have never got involved in. Uh and, and, I mean, look look what's going on. Now we're going to pull out and then, what, they're going to take over the entire country once again, the country of Afghanistan, and what are we going to do? We're going to go back in and fight. I mean, there's no point. At this point, it's a lost cause. It seems like every single time any ground is gained in Afghanistan or Pakistan or Iraq, uh, it's always it always just gets taken back if it's not vigilantly fought for. And the people that live in that region, no matter, no matter what, the United States tries to go in there and change the culture of these regions, which is just not going to change, because that culture has been the same for thousands of years. And they think if they can change the culture, they can flip things around. But those people that live in that country, they're not really free. So they're not going to fight really hard for something that isn't free to them. If you're an American, it's a totally different story. You have, to an extent, you have a certain amount of freedom in this country, and you're willing to fight for that freedom. 
they live in a country where there really isn't much freedom and it's not a great living scenario and, and there's nothing for them to preserve in that in those countries so when the taliban shows up they go well what's what's the point of what am i preserving here let's just let the taliban take over it's not like anything i i'm living a life of of, of a luxury here right so they just give up to the taliban there really is and, and it's part of the culture there and everyone, it seems like they're so friendly after they give up to the Taliban. It's just very weird. It's almost like they're the same players. They're playing, the, it's like a controlled opposition. They're playing the same game. No matter what America tries to do in those regions, I just don't think that there's there's really a way for the American interventionalist system that they call the military-industrial complex to be able to fix any of these problems. Uh, implementation of democracy failed. So, so. You might as well just pull out at this point and just see how they, they have to. It's now their problem that they need to figure out. Uh, instead of keeping our troops on the ground in there. It's just really, it seems futile at this point. So I have some economics here. I want to first get to this, actually. Uh, Peter Ducey asks Jen Psaki. The White House Twitter page claimed, and, and I saw this this morning, it's hilarious. They're claiming that the 4th of July barbecue, on average, will be $0.16 cents cheaper. And it was like a subtle flex, I guess, from the White House, which is ridiculous. Maybe it's them trying to calm the tensions of, of rising inflation rates. Shut down that story by saying, well, look at look at this. Our Your average 4th of July barbecue will actually be $0.16 cents cheaper than it was last year. But Peter Ducey asks Jen Psaki about this. Just check out what her response is. Play clip two. Okay, on another subject, the official White House account tweeted yesterday, the cost of a 4th of July cookout is down 16 cents from last year. 16 cents? There, there has been a reduction in some of the costs of key components of the 4th of July, a 4th of July barbecue. So that was it, what the tweet was noting. So does the White House think that 16 cents off a of barbecue has more of an impact on people's lives than gas being a dollar more this time? Uh, this I would say before. if you don't like hot dogs, you may not care of the reduction of costs. Yeah. You don't have to like hot dogs. But a reduction of, I will dog. say that what we are most focused on is the fact that we've created now more than 3 million jobs since the president took office. That's what we're focused on and continuing to implement additional uh, components of his economic build back better agenda. Go ahead, Andrea. Yeah, just going to switch gears completely. Great. You see a little smirk from Jen Psaki there. At the very end, she actually gets, she kind of makes a joke out of it. And I understand what Peter Ducey's going after. It's, okay, so we've seen inflation rates. We've seen the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, go up by about 2.5% since last year. We've seen it monthly continuing to just slowly rise at really an astronomical rate that is, we have not seen probably since pre-Great Depression era, like numbers like that. And the White House should have never obviously posted that tweet saying 16 cents. I mean, 16 cents isn't even a full hot dog like Peter Ducey said. And more importantly is what she hits on is she goes, well, we've already added 3 million jobs to the economy. But she won't say the, and, and it sounds great when you say, oh, well, we added 3 million jobs. It sounds like, oh my God, that's so many people that got employed and it's such a great thing. That's just not, yes, that's true, but. A lot of the negatives here, they're way worse than the positives right now. And I have a couple articles to prove it. First time jobless filing uh, falls, falls to the lowest level since COVID-19. Fox Business piece written by Jonathan Garber. So you say, the first time that we've seen these jobless claims a month fall this low is actually pre-COVID-19. 
which you can say, yeah, that could be a good factor, but then you can also determine that that means maybe it's run out, like the amount of people claiming unemployment, claiming that they no longer have a job, it's run out because so many people have already done that. And that's really is the case, and these numbers will show it. Uh, data released Thursday by the Labor Department showed 364,000 Americans filed for the first time jobless benefits in the week ended June 26th, down from the upwardly revised 415,000 filings the week prior. Uh, analysts surveyed by Refinitiv expected a decline to 390,000 filings, so we're still seeing people continue to report jobless claims. And if you do the math, if you do what is 415,000 times, and let's just say that was the average, and it's actually probably even more than that, 415,000 people claim that they're jobless a week during the entire Biden administration. So we're about six months through this already. So if you multiply 400,000 times, uh, what, six times four, 24 then the amount of people that have claimed they have are jobless, I'll do the math right now on my phone. I mean, it's like, it's it's astronomical rates. Since each, you have four weeks in a month, six months, that makes it 24 weeks. 24 times 400,000 filings per week of jobless claims. And the math on that comes out to 9.6 million people. So yeah, that's great, guys. You guys added 3 million jobs to the economy, but you also have 9... And this is during your tenure, during your six months. You have 9.6 million people are claiming that they're jobless, that they have no jobs. So so you actually lost jobs. You're net negative. You guys lost 6 million jobs. You, you Not that you really... And technically, technically, we're really not losing these jobs. These are just people that are going out on disability or they're going out on social security or they're going out on... Uh, and the big and the biggest portion of this is the unemployment benefits that are being given to the Demo- by the Democrats that no one really agrees with at this point. Especially uh, if you look at the majority of the country, about 60% of people disapprove of these unemployment benefits at this point. They've been exacerbated. They've been pushed way too far. And now they're going to go on, I think, until September now at this point. It's insane. When, when, they, when they passed the bill, I thought to myself, we're going to go all the way up until September. This is ridiculous. When are we going to kickstart, jumpstart the economy again? And it's still going on. We still have people claiming that they're jobless and they're just sitting fat and happy on this unemployment right now. We have, If you are a, a married couple on unemployment in some of these Democrat-run states, you can make $100,000 a year being unemployed. It's asinine. So continuing claims for the week ended June 19th. Meanwhile, unexpectedly rose to 3.469 million filings, up from the previous week's upwardly revised 3.413 million. Analysts were expecting a decline to 3.382 million filings. So yeah, it's just terrible uh, overall. So the economy adds 850,000 jobs. Unemployment rises to 5.8, uh, 5.9%. So this is, a, this is a Bongino piece written by Matt Palumbo. So just to kind of go into some of these numbers. So in the month of June, we saw 850,000 uh, jobs added to the economy, okay? So non-farm uh, payroll increased by 850,000 workers in June as the unemployment rate ticked up to 5.9%. So yes, we're seeing more people, we're seeing more jobs increase, but then we're additionally, we're seeing the unemployment rate rise with the job increase as well because more people are leaving their jobs, they're claiming that they're unemployed now and they're probably collecting money. 
uh, I think it's I think that this economic situation that we're in is strictly at this point been caused by the Democrat Party. I mean, it, it is painfully obvious in these blue states they shut down for such a long time that they they decimated small business and now they're extending these unemployment benefits even longer so people don't want to go back to work. They're prolonging going back to work because the government has incentivized people to stay home. So yes, the unemployment rate uh, ticked up to 5.9%, the Labor Department said on Friday. Analysts surveyed by Refinitiv uh, were expecting the addition of 700,000 and the unemployment rate to fall 5.7%. So what we saw was we saw an increase of 850,000. They thought it was going to be 700,000. So yeah, we saw an increase in in jobs more than we expected. But we also saw an increase in unemployment rates as well because people are leaving the workforce. So we're having people leave the workforce more than people are actually entering the workforce right now. And, and this is an explanation for it, and this is why I think specifically it's because of some of these endowment programs that have been pushed and have been propagated and been, have been approved by Democrats. The gains in leisure and hospitality come as 26 Republican-led states ended the $300 enhanced federal employment uh, benefits that were attributed by a labor shortage in that sector and many others. The benefits are set to expire nationally on their own on September 6th, but the 26 states ended them earlier last month, impacting 3.8 million people. A report from the Foundation for Ec- for Government found that in the immediate aftermath, the 26 states that have announced their plan to end participation in the $300 weekly unemployment bonus have seen a 1.2 or oh, actually it's higher than that, a 12.7, so a 12.7% decline on average in initial claims over the past week, while states that kept paying them saw an increase of 1.6%. So yes, this determines, this confirms that the red states that shut down this additional $300 a week unemployment bonus to disincentivize people from sitting at home and not working. This proves that people are just sitting at home right now and they're not working. This this unequivocally proves that that is what's going on because of these insane endowment benefits that are being propagated by the Democrat Party. All these red states have seen more people enter the workforce and a decrease in the unemployment rate with an increase in jobs added to their economies, while the blue states have seen an increase in unemployment and unemployment benefits with a decrease of the jobs that they're expecting to come back to the economy. I mean, this is pretty simple math here. Economics in the the most simple put way uh, to characterize it is it is the study of the incentives of the human being, how the government decides to make and break an economy, how they pick winners and losers. Unfortunately, uh, it it studies the economic studies, It studies the incentives, the way in which people respond to incentives in a uh, in a system. So, <clears throat> to get to a couple of these, a couple of these quick headlines. I got a lot of headlines today, just because I had an insane amount of uh, of news. This hammer tosser. I'm not even gonna say her name. Cause it's not worth saying that that turned her back on the country during the Star Spangled Banner. Uh, she called it racist, and this is what she came up with days later. She probably actually had to look it up and study and try to figure out a way to uh, justify her actions. 
And they also have seen, <laughs> what's even funnier is they found pictures of her holding an American flag, being all pro-America a couple of years ago, and now she hates America. They also looked through some of her tweets, her tweets from 2012, 2011. She's 32 right now, so it was around when she was like 21 years old. Uh, you know, they're saying they're a little racist, they're a little racy. Me personally, I don't really find a problem with them. Maybe they're kind of jokey. I don't really hold people to the same standard that the left wing does. But if the left wing is going to make it like everyone's racist all the time, then you guys should kind of hold yourselves to your standard. My standard for you is not really that high. Uh, I expect you to be to go out there and, and joke around on the internet. I don't think it's the end of the world. It's Twitter. Twitter's not real life. But... If it was me tweeting the same things that she was tweeting, I would have been called a racist. I would have called a sexist, a homophobe. She was saying things about white kids and how you should stomp them out. And just these really kind of weird, almost like weird things. Just trying to be funny, but it was kind of not really funny or edgy. But what I really wanted, the most important part I want to go through uh, is the Star Spangled Banner itself. The part that she claims is racist. And I'm going to debunk it because it's just not true. Uh, historically it's not true and in the context of the actual song uh, in in the stanzas it's just not true so the part that we took in our star spangled banner is the very first stanza there's four stanzas in total it was written by francis scott key i think that's his name and it was while he was being taken as a prisoner i believe by the british in the war of 1812 he was on a boat and he was watching the american flag wave while bombs were bursting in air, I mean, the, the battle was going on, and then he woke up in the morning, and he saw that that American flag was still there, and then he kind of, you know, he wrote this, this, uh, I don't even really know what to specifically call it, this song, or, or this poetry, so everyone knows that first stanza, I'm going to read off the second, third, and fourth, and I'm going to tell you, the problem is, is in the third stanza, stanza, when it's a mention of hireling and slave, and that's what her problem is with it. And I'll explain why I can easily debunk her theory, and it's a total myth. So I go to the second stanza. On the shore dimly seen through the mists of the deep, where the foe's haughty host in dread silence reposes, what is that which the breeze over the towering steep as it fitfully blows, half conceals, half discloses. Now it catches the gleam of the morning's first beam, in full glory reflected now shines in the stream. Tis the star-spangled banner, O oh, long may it wave, over the land of the free and the home of the brave. Third stanza. And where is that band who so vauntingly swore that the havoc of war and the battle's confusion, a home and a country should leave us no more. Their blood has washed out their foul footsteps pollution. No refuge could save the hireling and slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave. And the star-spangled banner in triumph doth wave over the land of the free and the home of the brave. O thus be it ever, when free men shall stand between their loved home and the war's desolation. Blessed with victory and peace may the heaven rescue land, praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must when our cause it is just, 
and this be our motto in God is our trust. And the star-spangled banner in triumph shall wave over the land of the free and the home of the brave. Okay, so that third stanza, what he is specifically referring to is there was people that were hired by the British military. Uh, and and when, he, when he says slaves, he says people that are hired, hired by the British military. His context of that was it's people that this is a military, this is a government that is so tyrannical that he calls them a hireling. He doesn't say hireling or slave. He says hireling and slave, meaning you being a hireling of the of the British government also makes you a slave to the British government. And you know how I can determine I can determine this because if you look at the fourth stanza, when he mentions the free men shall stand, he's mentioning American slaves and he's calling them free men after this after this war because a lot of them fought in the uh, War of 1812 with with some sort of hope or I think um, there was a promise that if they fought in this war and there was a victory from the United States that they would then become free men. Uh, and additionally, there was also I think the British were having having uh, former slaves fighting to become free men in, in Great Britain too as well. So yes, this this is much more deprecating actually of the British. In World War One. they took these stanzas out in our national anthem. That's why there's only a singing of the very first stanza because World War One, our allies were the British and we didn't want to offend them. This, this is a song specifically. The Star Spangled Banner is a song. It is a repudiation of the British military and the British king and the British parliament. The entire country of Great Britain it is a repudiation of them, and pretty much an f you double barreled middle finger straight down your throat. That's what the song is. The song has actually nothing to do uh, with racism or, or with slavery, and it says from the terror of flight or of the gloom of the grave. Pretty much meaning, you guys, you British military, you guys are so soft. Our flag's still flying. We're gonna continue to fight you guys, and you guys are gonna. T- from the terror of the flight, you guys are going to run like little babies or you're going to be put in the ground in your grave. That's really, that's just American exceptionalism. That is what it is. Uh, it's not specifically targeting black people. It's not targeting slaves. This is targeting the British military, the British government, who we fought a civil war against, just, I mean, a revolutionary war against literally from this time, like 30 years, 40 years before that. So it was still kind of ingrained in our in our psyche, in our culture, that we were known for fighting the biggest government of all, of, of almost all time, the, the biggest empire, of actually probably the biggest empire of all time, and defeating them as rebels, as the rebel army. So, I mean, I mean, take it as you see it, but that's that's just what it is in the context of uh, history. So, Supreme Court declines to hear appeal of florist refusing service at a gay wedding. Uh, the Epic Times piece. This is very interesting now. So, we're kind of getting to this point. We had a six-three of a de- declining of t- to take the case. What happened is, I don't know what specific state it was. But a florist didn't want to uh, didn't want to provide their services to a gay wedding, and I can't find the specific state that it was in. But once it was appealed to the Supreme Court, because as a First Amendment case, saying that this is against the religion of the florist, the florist doesn't want to serve this wedding because they don't believe in gay marriage. It's against their religion. It was turned down by a 6-3 court rule. They didn't even want to see the case because they didn't want to have to actually rule on religious freedom. 
and they just claim that we're going to go with whatever the district court said. Oh, it was a Washington State Supreme Court. So this is in Washington, obviously super liberal. Justices Samuel Alito, Neil Gorsuch, and Clarence Thomas are the only ones that wanted to take the case. Everybody else declined taking the case. And this is really what the problem is. So we had Trump for all these years. We had him push through three people that were calling conservative uh, justices. And on this one, Amy Coney Barrett, and Brett Kavanaugh are nowhere to be found on religious freedom. Because this is this is not only religious freedom, but this is freedom by association. So I'll tell you what the state court wanted this uh, florist owner to do. And this this is what actually ha- this is what the court pushed this owner to do. Okay, the state court had branded Barnell a discriminator, and that and that's the name Barnell is the name of the uh, florist owner, a discriminator and ordered her to attend, facilitate, and create custom floral art celebrating all marriages or none. So pretty much the government, with a gun, at the, the barrel at the end of your head, okay? So the government has a gun up to your head. They're telling you, you have to provide services to this person because we said so. Because because what, you're, what you want to do doesn't matter. What your religious freedom is does not matter in this case because you're being a discriminator and now you have to go and serve this wedding even though you don't want to. Or you're permanently shut down and you're going to face some sort of punitive damages. Whether it's it's a civil case or it's a criminal case. That, that's what the court is telling her. That's what the, the government is telling her. And then our federal government, who's actually, their job is to enforce the Constitution, the law of the land, the First Amendment... And they decide to go, they, they do not go through with any of that. They, they go through with nothing. They have no intestinal fortitude and they don't want to see the case. And I actually have a, uh, I don't know if this is specifically what Justice Roberts wrote about. Oh no, this is a whole other decision with a Catholic adoption agency. Yeah, I mean, I have another one here. <laughs> it's amazing. Supreme Court rules against realtors. This is a Daily Caller piece. Uh, it's a ban on eviction. Concurring opinion is uh, five four. So, so let me explain this. Because of some of this COVID relief, you cannot evict people that aren't afford that can't afford rent right now. If, if there's a tenant that that doesn't want to pay rent, it's not even actually having to do with whether they can or can't afford it. If the tenant just does not want to pay the landlord rent right now, they don't have to. Okay. So realtors sued for this. Because this is the right to their property, and really the state, the government doesn't have any right to tell somebody whether or not they can evict somebody from their own land. Uh, this is a property rights issue, right? The, the Supreme Court rules in favor of the tenant, telling them that the ban on evictions will continue until further notice, which I think is a couple weeks from now or a month or so from now, when it, it expires from the last bill that was passed. And who knows, the Democrats are going to try to extend this as long as they can. They're going to try to play this Delta variant as long as they can. They want to take as much power away from you as they can, take as much wealth and confiscate it all from you, so you are helpless and you are relying on the government. Right now, the government is is making a reliant class, people that are, are feel their fiscal responsibility is that of the state. Um, so the 5-4 decision... To continue this ban on evictions was Kagan, Kavanaugh, Roberts, Sotomayor, and Breyer. So, once again, Kavanaugh. I mean, we have these people. We have three Supreme Court justices nominated by Trump, right? And 
they're all dropping the ball. It's supposed to be a six three. So so the so the media says it's a six three with Roberts. It's really a, a five four, but it doesn't even look like a five four. It's just you got probably two really solid. If you want to count Gorsuch, sometimes it's pretty solid. But other than that, Thomas uh, and Alito are the only solid ones left in the Supreme Court. So Justice Thomas, speaking to Thomas, he points out the inconsistencies with the pot policies. He just kind of talks about how the federal government has this rule, and then all these individual states have these rules. And he just he just sees it as, as stupid, and, and he's actually in favor, from what it seems like from this article, Foundation of Economic Education, he's in favor of just the legalization of marijuana to kind of make everything easier because it's kind of the, the waters are getting a little murky uh, in, in those cases. Another one here, 130 nations agree to uh, support the global minimum corporate tax rate. This one I've talked about pretty extensively. It's definitely not a good thing for anybody. It's not good for business. It's not good for for consumers. There's nothing good about just taking away the free market incentives and saying everybody else has to have the exact same tax rate because then it's no longer a free market. The government is picking the winners and the losers. And there's a lot of reasons for that that I've went into in prior uh, episodes. But I want to end with this. Kevin McCarthy, he takes one out of the Democrats' playbook when talking about uh, taking down some of these Confederate statues. Talking, I'm talking about who was the Confederacy, the Democrats, and, and this, that, the other thing. Uh, play clip one. In a fighting time of our nation. The greatest challenge ever to our Constitution was the Civil War. Long and by far. The bill we're voting on today, we voted before. And I supported it. I support it now. But let me state a simple fact. All the statues being removed by this bill are statues of Democrats. Madam Speaker, as I heard the Speaker talk earlier about removing of the four portraits of speakers in the hall, the same answer goes for that as well. They were all Democrats. What's interesting, the statues that need to be removed were sent to the Capitol by states that were majority controlled by Democrats, sent to a House that had a majority controlled by Democrats accepting of these statues. I think the bill should go further. Maybe it's time the Democrats change the name of their party. They may be desperate to pretend their party has progressed from their days of supporting slavery, pushing Jim Crow laws, or supporting the KKK. But let's be honest, at any place, at any time, if those fundamentals rest somewhere, we cannot let him. So yeah, this is why uh, this is why Kevin McCarthy is no one's really a fan of him. The conservative movement is not a fan of Kevin McCarthy. He's a milk toast Republican. He's pretty much a Democrat. There's a couple things to kind of break down here. These Confederate statues. The reason they were sent to the uh, Capitol building is because it was almost like to make amends between the Confederacy and the Union. And and once again, this really wasn't a war that was primarily fought off of slavery it was a war that was moreover fought over independence uh 
of of state sovereignty they felt that there was an overwhelm like the south felt like it could split from the north just because they didn't like the north's tyrannical policies which honestly i actually believe and i agree with that i believe in uh secession from the union if the federal government is no longer serves you uh i.e for example let's say there are natural disasters that happen in, in, in our country, right? So New Jersey has a crazy earthquake, tons of damages. We request federal aid. We get the federal aid from the federal government. Uh, let's say that the ha- exact same thing happens to Texas, right? Or, or let's say they get hit with a hard hurricane. They request federal aid from the federal government and the federal government tells them to go screw. So now Texas has to stay in the, stay in the program, stay in the union. What is everyone in the Texas state? What are they paying federal taxes for? They're paying federal taxes to get screwed. I mean, we, we've seen some of these policies that have been pushed by Democrats very recently have only benefited the Democrat states, especially with some of these unemployment benefits. Some of this uh, this COVID, quote unquote, relief, really this uh, COVID stimulus, the spending packages, it is it is primarily only benefited the Democrat states, because the Democrat states have the highest population of unemployed people because they're the ones that have kept their economy shut down. So really what we did is we confiscated all the wealth from all of the red states, all the people that have been working their tails off, and we handed it over to the blue states over this past year. That's what we did instead. So, so why is it that red states should be involved in the system? If you got screwed by the federal government last year, why would you still want to be in the union? You should have the right, if this is considered sovereignty of the states and states have their own individual rights and their own individual sovereignty, they should be able to secede from the union. There's there's nothing in the Constitution stating that you can't do that. Uh, and that's really what that war was fought over. That, that war primarily was fought over that. Then they kind of shifted it. Abraham Lincoln shifted it because the British were on the sidelines sitting there waiting to kind of jump in. And he knew, Abraham Lincoln, that optics meant something and optics would look really bad if the british decided to help the south retain the power of slavery which which indeed is wrong so he he made it about slavery and then the british kept their heads out of it because they knew it wouldn't have looked good for them to be fighting pro-slavery in a country where they i think just very at that time very recently abolished slavery uh yeah, so Kevin McCarthy, I mean, he's he's a hack. The, the dude's a hack. You could tell by the way he's up there talking. I mean, it's just, it's all semantics. It's all for show. He's not a real conservative, and he just plays the game of, well, their party was ra-. Do you think the Democrats wear this as a badge of honor when you call them racist, when you call them any? Because they're all, they could be all these things. They could be hypocrites. They could be, it's a badge of honor because no matter what the media covers for them. So it doesn't even matter to them. It's a badge of honor. They, they know they can do it. They can be hypocrites and they get away with it. So you pointing it out really at this point doesn't mean much is the first thing. And the second thing is, is are we going to talk about the Democrat Party hundreds of years ago? I mean, it's, it's almost pointless to talk about the Democrat Party hundreds of years ago. If you want to talk about the KKK, you can at least say, yeah, the KKK was around somewhat recently uh, and they were Democrats. If you want to talk about the Democrats in the, the civil rights era, you could say at least, yeah, that's somewhat recently. I mean, we're talking about the revolutionary, I mean, the uh, Civil War. No one's alive anymore from the Civil War. It, it was it was in the 1860s. So we're talking about, a hundred what, 160 years ago? We're going to sit here and, and do the semantics game on what the Democrats were doing 160 years ago. None of those Democrats that are now in office are derived from that. They never served with anybody during that time. So it's kind of, it's just really pointless. 
it's an irrelevant point that he's making just because the name of the, it's like saying something, oh, well, you know, the, you know, Babe Ruth, it's like sitting here making the story, well, you know, the Red Sox traded uh, Babe Ruth to the Yankees, uh, you know, a hundred years ago, so, I mean, who cares? That history doesn't matter anymore. I mean, yeah, that's historically, that's the way it was, but that history, as it relates to today, really is doesn't mean much. So you're better off just calling out the Democrats for their crap and saying they're trying to erase our history and, and then really just bring some truth to what the revolution, I mean, the, uh, the Civil War was really all about. And instead, Kevin McCarthy's actually in favor of getting rid of all these statues and upholding our Constitution because seceding from the Union is against the Constitution, which is just unequivocally incorrect. There's nothing in the Constitution saying that states can't have their individual sovereignty to secede from the Union. There's just nothing in the Constitution restricting that freedom. Um, yeah, so that concludes this one. I greatly appreciate everybody tuning in as always. Please like, share, subscribe, all the good stuff. Uh, please drop the mic, let people know about the podcast. A lot of good information on this podcast. I'm sure you're probably not hearing everything I told you today, uh, elsewhere. So yeah, that's, that's all I really request. Everybody enjoy their Independence Day, the 4th of July, and have a great one, and I will see you all next time. Thank you. Thank you.